Uh, good evening and welcome to Upbeat Live. I'm Veronica Krausis. Um, how great is it to be back in Disney Hall? This is my first time, yeah. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I heard this uh, story on the radio about an opera company, I don't remember which one, that they had their first concert uh, uh, after COVID and everyone was so excited that they clapped after the uh, announcement reminding them to turn off their cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So tonight's concert is Casual Friday Concert, and there are only two pieces on the program. There's no intermission. We have one Finnish and one Russian piece. One is older, one is newer, and actually one's quite a bit newer. The other one's quite a bit older. And there'll be a talk back after the concert on stage with the head of the LA Phil, Chad Smith, and some musical guests. Um, and then you're more than welcome to come here and have drinks afterwards with the musicians. I believe it's in BP Hall. I, I... Now, let's start with the older Russian work. It's a piano concerto by Tchaikovsky. And Tchaikovsky became the first Russian composer to achieve international fame. And at that juncture in Russian history, there were sort of two opposing factors. Um, there was sort of the internationalism and then the nationalism camps. And since the beginning of the 18th century and with the reign of Peter the Great, Russia was really striving to adopt um, Western culture, particularly that of France. So westernization, it was called. And of course, it affected music. And by the middle of the 19th century, music in Russia, musical life in Russia was kind of largely in the hands of foreigners. So, there was, of course, an opposition to this state of affairs, and the preoccupation of a lot of the, the composers and creators was to develop a national operatic style. So that would be a style that um, was proper for the Russian language and for their folk tales. So from about 1850 onwards, the nationalistic activity was centered around St. Petersburg, and it was a group of five composers called Kuchka, or the Mighty Handful, or often they were just referred to as the Five. Um, now, Tchaikovsky was not a member of the group, and he remained a little on the periphery, but he would also sometimes use folk tunes, and we'll see that in his concerto tonight. But his music had more of a the sort of international Western aesthetic to it and technique. Um, much of his Russian borrowings, I, I don't know if this is quite fair to say, but they were sort of like the appropriation of a folk tune or the use of it. So his music was not quite as supportive of the nationalistic cause as, let's say, the music of his fellow Russian, Mazorsky. But he's still considered a national hero and brilliant composer. Now, the approval rating among academics and critics in the West has fluctuated. At first, his music was highly acclaimed, and then he was accused of being vulgar, obscenely passionate, or simplistic, but then he was in again with beautiful music. So, it, you know, the same thing happens with fashion. Uh, you know, before the plague, we all wore really nice shoes. During the plague, slippers and socks. And now that the plague is over, we're back to, you know, finding shoes in our closet. And the reason I'm bringing up the shoe analogy is that Tchaikovsky once said, since I began to compose, I have made it my object to be in my craft what the most illustrious masters were in theirs. I wanted to be an artisan, just as a shoemaker is. 
So this musical shoemaker was born into quite a large middle-class family in 1840 in Russia. He originally studied law in St. Petersburg and became a civil servant. Even though he was studying law and working, he was still studying music, and eventually he left his job to concentrate on music full-time. He began studying with Anton Rubinstein at the St. Petersburg Conservatory, and when he finished, he moved to Moscow and started teaching there at the conservatory. As a child, he said it was Mozart's Don Giovanni that prompted his lifelong dedication to music. So his personal life is both fascinating and somewhat of a tragic story. He was a homosexual, and because of social norms at the time, he attempted to create a normal facade by entering into a marriage of convenience with one of his students. And even though it was platonic, the stress of that marriage was unbearable to him. And after two months, he left, never to see his wife again. So after that fiasco, it's kind of ironic that one of the most important people in his life turns out to be a woman. And it was Madame von Meck. She was a wealthy widow who was a really ardent supporter of his music. And she became his patron and financial supporter for 14 years. Theirs was a relationship of letters, and they agreed never to meet. It just so happened that once or twice they ran into each other and both were very uncomfortable and, you know, both hightailed it out of there. But if you think about it, it's quite a modern relationship, you know, Facebook anyone? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now, the truth surrounding Tchaikovsky's death is very mysterious. The official version is that he died from accidental cholera poison, poisoning from drinking dirty water. But the truth, the unofficial version, is it was revolving around a sexual scandal. But apparently in high society in Russia, that sort of thing was not aired in public. There was a private honor court, and they de deemed the appropriate punishments. And he, the story goes, he was found guilty and sentenced to death, so he poisoned himself. So that's sort of the, the, the urban legend. All right. Now, Tchaikovsky was very hardworking for a composer, and although at first his talent wasn't so recognized, he, he absolutely persevered. And about his own work habits, he says, I sit down to the piano regularly at nine o'clock in the morning, and Mesdames les Muses have learned to be on time for that rendezvous. So he was very uh, habitual about 9 a.m. Tonight we're hearing his first piano concerto, which is very beloved and on so many top concertos of forever lists. Um, and it's somewhat ironic that the initial reception was something other than stellar. He wrote the piece hoping that his friend Nikolai Rubinstein would perform the work, would premiere the work. And he took the piece to Nikolai. He didn't say anything. He played through the whole thing, not uttering a word. And Tchaikovsky even wrote about the awkwardness of that to Madame, Madame von Meck. And then reported that afterwards, at once he finished playing, Rubinstein totally trashed the piece. Um, and 
Tchaikovsky obviously was quite upset, and Rubinstein saw this and said, well, maybe if you change a few things, um, you know, and make it a little more whatever, I, I, I can still play it. And Tchaikovsky said, I shall not alter a single note, and I shall publish the work, work as, exactly as it is. Uh, needless to say, Tchaikovsky did not dedicate the work to him and ended up dedicating it to Hans von Bülow, who premiered it in, in the U.S., which sort of start, started and spurred Tchaikovsky's um, great reputation, especially in America. Now, we know premieres can be interesting things, and even though the work was so successful, it was not mirrored by some critics. A Russian critic in St. Petersburg wrote about it. His first piano concerto is like the first pancake, a flop. <laughs> and the same year in Boston, a critic wrote, this extremely difficult, strange, wild, ultra-modern Russian concerto has the wild Cossack fire and impetus without stint, extremely brilliant and exciting. But could we ever learn to love such music? which is strange, and yet his concerto remains one of the most popular. And I have to say that that first pancake is often the most tasty. I'm just saying. Anyway. So this concerto is, is quite traditional in, in many ways. It uses the typical three-part concerto form. And Tchaikovsky references certain folk tunes or popular tunes throughout the work. So, the first um, movement starts with immediately recognizable chords. And I read that the musicologist David Brown said that Tchaikovsky put his name in his music. So specifically, Tchaikovsky's name, those notes for him represented his name. And so here it is with orchestra. Try that again. All right. So once that introduction, that very fiery introduction is out of the way, you get um, a theme that comes in that's actually based on a Ukrainian folk theme that he heard a, a blind street musician playing in the Ukraine. Um, and it's a little bit sort of nervous and, and, and jumpy. Now, the second movement is much calmer, and it starts with this really beautiful flute melody. And in the middle of the movement, um, it sort of explodes with a lot of boisterous energy. In this movement, in this middle section specifically, Tchaikovsky quotes a very saucy French chansonnette, which is, il faut s'amuser, danser et rire, which translates to, one must have fun, dance, and laugh. Apparently, it was very, very popular at the time all his friends were singing it. 
But as a young man, he heard a, a, a Belgian cabaret singer, whose name was Desiree Artaud, perform in Moscow in, in 1868. And he became completely infatuated with her, and he even proposed marriage, which, of course, didn't eventuate. So, but given what we know about his um, interests, let's say, um, he was probably more greatly attracted to her artistry and also her theatrical charisma rather than her as a woman. But no marriage, but her song found its way into the concerto. Then after that, it goes back to sort of the more calm, plaintive feel that the movement started with. Now, the last movement also starts with a Ukrainian folk song, just as the first movement did. And it's a folk song which is a greeting to spring. And this is a little bit of what the actual folk song sounds like. And here is Tchaikovsky's use of that melodic idea in the concerto. piano soloist this evening is the fabulous Beatrice Rana, who is only 24, and she's already established a sort of a very stellar international career, including a wonderful release of the Goldberg Variations in 2017 on Warner Classics. The conductor is the amazing Finnish Susanna Malki. She is in her sixth season as the chief conductor of the Helsinki um, Philharmonic Orchestra, and she's also the principal guest conductor here at the LA Phil. And um, I have to say, the last time I was doing an interview before the plague happened, I was interviewing Susanna Malki and the next composer, Kaya Sariaho. So it feels very fitting that my first time back at Disney Hall is, is discussing the two, those two amazing women. So, Tonight, we are hearing the U.S. premiere of Kaya Sariaho's Vista. It was co-commissioned by the LA Phil, plus Helsinki, Berlin, and Oslo Philharmonics. In, in 2019, the BBC, a BBC survey named Kaya Sariaho as one of the, the greatest living composers. And she's written for chamber music, for orchestras, she's written electronic music, opera, basically she can do anything. Uh, Tom Service of The Guardian has a beautiful description. All composers are dreamers, but very few have dared to dream sonic images of such magnetic power as those of Finnish composer Kaya Sariaho has conjured in her music. So, she is definitely a, a wonderful dreamer who is able to bring her dreams to oral reality. 
For her, it wasn't clear as a child yet that she was going to become a composer, and she, meant, she admits she wasn't from a terribly musical family or necessarily very culturally, artistically cultural family. But the interesting thing was that her father's company was very interested in visual arts and really accumulated a, quite a, a, um, a, a, a great collection, private collection. So perhaps this is one of the reasons that she was very inspired to draw and, and studied both graphics and music at the Helsinki Conservatory. Sariaho says of herself that she's very sensitive and at sometimes music frightens her and at other times, you know, she really liked it. And at their house they had one of those old-fashioned radios that she would listen to but sometimes she also heard music that didn't come from a radio. And it turned out this was the music that didn't come from a radio was actually in her head, in her mind. And she, she says, I imagined that it came from my pillow. And her mother remembered her asking her to turn down the pillow or to turn the pillow off at night when she couldn't sleep, um, to turn off the music that she was imagining in her head. It's a, it's a sweet story. By the way, did you know that in German, Bach means dream? Did anyone know that? Yeah. And so as a child, Sariaho, when she listened to Bach's music because she understood the word stream, she thought it was the perfect description. And I, that sort of story as well shows her wonderful um, childlike imagination that she still has um, with her music and her creations. At the conservatory, she said she was really, really shy. But Apparently, she was very equally strong-willed as well. When she was told that Pavo Heinen's uh, composition class was full and she couldn't get in, she didn't take that as an answer. She just actually went to the classroom, sat in the chair, and waited for him to say, okay, you can stay. So obviously, it worked. And as a young composer, like many young composers, she was insecure, also coupled with being a woman at that time in the, in the composition field. So the same composition teacher I just mentioned made her look in the mirror 20 times a day and say, I can, I can, I can. And he encouraged each of his students to find his or her own um, musical voice. So with, with his support, and, and um, she rediscovered what she said was the creativity she had experienced as a child. And she says, you know, all those colors, seeing, hearing, and living in the intermingling dimensions of all the senses, zooming in and out, making great free associations, I had been there before. Partly because of Sibelius, but the status of composers has always been exceptionally high in Finland. It's a country with five million people, and because of a conscious decision to support the arts for younger students, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, Finland has excelled in the arts in spite of its small population. So the turnaround time for something like that is 20 years, but what a windfall. Think of all the amazing um, Finnish musicians in our midst, just to name three, Esa-Pekka Salonen, Magnus Lindbergh, and Kaya Sariaho. Interestingly, the three I just mentioned were students together in Finland. And the three of them with a few other, um, few others of their, few other classmates of theirs, they started a, a musical society in Finland called Korvat Auki, the 
Ears Open Society. And they advocated for more contemporary music that they felt the establishment was ignoring at that time. So while she was studying in Helsinki, she did the sort of um, normal composer pilgrimage to Darmstadt in Germany, which is a very famous, very, very new music festival, and it's still going on. And while she was there, she met two teachers, uh, Br uh, Brian Fernihau and Klaus Huber, who were both teaching at that time in Freiburg. And she was really influenced by them and moved to Freiburg in Germany. Then in the 1980s, Paris started attracting her, and she went to study there at IRCAM, which is the Institute for Music and Acoustics, Acoustic Research and Coordination. And it's at the Georges Pompidou Center in Paris, and it was started and founded by the composer and conductor Pierre Boulez. And she's been in Paris ever since. She considers herself a Finn who lives in Paris. Now, when she moved to Paris in 1982, it was an escape from the really strict post-tonal tradition that was very formal. So think Schoenberg and his 12-tone music series. And while in Paris, she became part of this group at the IRCAM who were interested in combining uh, sound, color, and harmonics, which we today know um, or call spectralism. So here's a very, very basic um, sort, um, description of what spectral is. So if I play a note, you're not just hearing that one pitch, you hear the whole spectrum or harmonic series, etc. That is uh, that is accumulated with that pitch. So each spectrum for any note or instrument is, is unique. It's like a unique sound fingerprint, let's say. So that's the way we distinguish, you know, what the piano sounds different than an oboe sounds different than a violin. So th these composers, like uh, Tristan Murai and Gerard Griset were the two sort of main guys at the beginning who started this exploration in the 70s of um, breaking up the spectrum and dealing with different harmonic components of sound. That was the world that Sariaho found herself immersed in. All right, so I thought I would give you a little historical musical quiz. So 1970s, spectralism was happening in Europe. What musical style was developing in the U.S. in the 1970s? No? No one? Rock music, yeah. Minimalism. Yeah, minimalism. So the two types of music are totally different. However, both of them kind of emphasize the sort of need to return to the basics of music and something that isn't quite as complex as, as Schoenberg and the 12-tone serialists were. Now, this gang of spectralists based in Paris at the IRCOM, and while she was there, she was surrounded by acousticians and composers and programmers, and so she, and she got involved in electronic music, but at the time, in the 1980s, computers were not this big. Computers were the size of, of a room, and, you know, that's what they were working with, and these monster 
computers. And remember those punch cards? I don't know, I'm old enough to remember them. We had stacks of them at home. And, and so, you know, that's how they were programming music or using tape loops and all this stuff. So um, at the time, her experiments in electronic music actually were really important because her imagination connecting what live musicians could do with electronic sounds was really quite staggering. And often she would have one influence the other or meld them so closely that they sort of became one unified idea. And she would imagine sounds and then use technology to, to realize them. So her musical style, it doesn't fit into one category and it floats in a world between categories. So you've got tonal music over here, something that's a bit more crunchy, atonal, spectralism here, a little bit of serialism. And you know, you can often hear influences in her music of the Impressionists like Debussy and Ravel, or uh, in the, uh, the Expressionists, something that's a little more um, intense. The conductor Kent Nagano feels Sariaho's music is fundamentally Impressionist. And he says it creates impressions of colors, pictures, and of several different emotions of, of a rich spirituality. So there's this um, searching for new timbres and sounds and musical uses, even of noise in her music. And this inclusion of noise uh, comes from the Italian futurist painter Luigi Russolo, who wrote a manifesto in 1913 called The Art of Noises. And in this manifesto, he urged futurist composers to continue to enlarge and enrich the field of sound and break out of this limited circle of sounds and conquer the infinite variety of noise sounds, which is one of the avenues that um, uh, Sariaho started to explore. The music writer and critic from The New Yorker, Alex Ross, uh, put it in a, had a beautiful way of describing her opera, Adriana, and he said, um, her use of all sounds, including noise, doesn't make her a sonic terrorist, but she makes her eruptions of noise seem like natural phenomena, the aftermath of some seismic break. Shapes emerge from the chaos, and the shapes begin to sing. So some of the composers who, were, who are important to Sariaho are Bach and Stravinsky, Debussy, Ravel, Ligeti, Messian, the Spectralists, and Sibelius, who often she gets compared to, and she's very honored to be compared to him. Same with Sibelius, her music is, in her music, nature, as in the sea, the sky, the northern lights, birds, water lilies, is really an important inspiration for her compositions. And it's, it's where a lot of her musical material comes from and also the forms of her pieces. As a child, she loved walking outdoors and she loved the sound of the forest and the birds and the light reflected by the snow that she said was so typical of the Finnish winter, as well as the light after the darkness of polar nights. It is part of my Finnishness. And um, I remember that in that last interview that I had with Susanna Malki and Kaya Sariaho, 
they both talked about how the environment and the seasons in Finland, the very long summer days, the very, very short days in winter, that they were both um, very, very influenced by that, as well as what they said most Finnish composers are. Um, for, uh, and for her, um, sounds that she finds in nature are all potential material. She doesn't find any difference between, or separation between breathing, the wind, birds, and some of her own music. For her, it's, it's a natural continuity. And it's not just see, these old environments that um, show the influence of, of, of sort of new, but it's also the new spaces and cultures she experiences that also um, we, you can definitely see in her music. There's a, a wonderful book by Pirko Mosala. He wrote a book on uh, Sariaho, and in it he recounts a visit she did to Tokyo in 1993. And she was really impressed, impressed with Japanese aesthetics. And she actually, while there, wrote um, a piece dedicated to Takamitsu called Six Japanese Gardens. And she really was intrigued by the gardens there and how they were designed so that the eye could travel you know, a certain plan when you looked at the garden. And what she said was that she felt a connection between architecture and music. Both art forms select and introduce materials, let them grow, give them form, preparing new contrasting elements, creating different relationships between the materials. So for her, these Japanese gardens illustrated the art of time, that temporal nature of music that she found exists both in music and in gardens. Sariaho also mentions having a kind of synesthesia. So synesthesia is when two different senses overlap. So if you hear E flat, you might see orange. If you smell oranges, you might hear D flat, you know, sort of thing. It's a, it's a unique thing for, for certain people. But she says that her, the visual and musical worlds for her are one. Different senses, shades of color and textures and tones of light, even fragrances and sound blend in her mind and all of that forms for her a complete world. Mark Swed of the LA Times uh, described her harmonies in a previous LA Phil Commission as the remnants of an afterglow. Uh, with strings shimmering, and that so perfectly describes the sort of beautiful lingering effects of her music, and how her music is a spectacular transformation, offering, it offers a sonic universe. So the sonic world or universe that we are going to hear this evening, the long-awaited LA premiere of the piece Vista, um, will be this evening, and it was supposed to be premiered in 2019, we all know what happened, and it just had its Helsinki premiere, I believe, in May of this year. Interestingly, Vista was inspired by Sariaho's last trip to LA, when after the concerts at the Phil, she drove between LA and San Diego and stopped along the way to look at you know, various sites and views. And she realized that a lot of them were called vistas. So she named her piece Vista. Now the piece is in two contrasting sections. The first section is called Horizons and it's, it's a little more calm. It's based on lines a little bit and abstract textures. 
the first part starts with this really beautiful oboe solo. So, listening to her music, it's about notes, but it's also about the sort of sound events or fields of sound color. So here's another short excerpt from the, the first section where you kind of sort of feel and hear the aura around the sound, which is like, it's like being in a magical cosmos. The second half of the piece is much more energetic. And in her program notes, she describes that these recognizable gestures that appear throughout the piece go through transformations, and especially in the second half that she's titled Targets, where the gestures search restlessly um, uh, for new combinations of existence with several energetic attempts to break out. Um, however, they're finally resolved in and return back to the calmer, slower opening that was at the beginning of the piece. So I'm going to play a little section from uh, the end of the piece where you get one last attempt at a breakthrough by, by, the, by the music, and, then it, and it, then it slowly returns to the calm of the opening. vision of the role of contemporary music in today's world is one of that new music and art music is not elite music, but rather an alter alternative movement. And she compares that to biological farming. So the, it, the, the biological farming aims to have not to have poisons or artificial fertilizers. And so she said that, that the task of today's artist is to nurture spiritually rich art, and one that provides you know, um, new spiritual dimensions to express a greater richness, which doesn't always mean more complexity, but a greater delicacy, possibly. With this piece, Vista, 
um, she wanted to challenge herself in terms of not always defaulting to the same instruments. So we all have sort of things that we typically do as composers that just always seem to work. And she decided not to do that and left out the piano, the harp, and the celesta, which are her go-to instruments in this piece. And that way she explored more what the woodwinds are doing. So back to my description of, of her music as being a magical cosmos. It made me think about Captain Kirk, um, a.k.a. William Shatner, and his real-life voyage into space. I mean, that was exciting. You know, because remember on um, Star Trek, the introduction was to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And how exciting must it have been for him to see space after he had had it in his imagination for so long. And I think Sariaho's music is like that. Her imagination and its realization put us into a musical spaceship so that we can explore her wonderful sound world uh, where she has explored and boldly gone. So it's lovely to be back. It's lovely to see everyone here. Hope you all stay healthy and happy and enjoy the concert tonight. Thank you.